This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care veterinary specialist and a toxicologist. Thanks for joining us today. Today, I'm super excited to be speaking with Dr. Natalie Marks, who's a practicing veterinarian in the Chicago area, a consultant, and the founder of Top Vets Talk Pets. We're super excited because we're going to be talking about how you can keep your dogs and cats safe this summer. And especially for you new pet owners who adopted a pet during COVID, you really want to pay attention. We'll be right back after these messages. As a veterinarian, I want you to keep your dog as healthy and happy as possible. Well, you may have read a lot about bone broth's benefits for dogs, but if you're like me, you're too busy to cook bones for hours. So why not check out Rockwell Pets Pro Natural Dog Bone Broth? It comes in the convenience of a dry product and you just sprinkle the powder on top of your dog's regular meal. It helps relieve arthritis pain with its anti-inflammatory turmeric and boosts appetite, even for finicky eaters. Plus, it's fast and easy, and you don't have to boil any bones. It's vet-approved, made in the U.S., and comes with a money-back guarantee. For more information, check out rockwellpetspro.com. That's rockwellpetspro.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Really excited to be speaking with Dr. Natalie Marks. Dr. Marks, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Dr. Lee. So just so our audience knows who you are, do you mind giving us a little bit of background about who you are, where you train, what you do? Tell us a little bit about what you used to do with your practice in Chicago and what you're doing now. What is Top Vets Talk Pets? Give us some details. Yeah, a little background on me. So I've been a veterinarian now for 20 years. I'm still practicing, although I've stepped back a bit to do some other things, which I'll talk about in a sec, but uh, practiced for five years in Atlanta. The rest of the time, I've been practicing downtown Chicago, Um, bought a practice here, the largest small animal practice, and uh, built that up with my business partner, had a wonderful time doing it, and have sort of passed the torch on to others now as I've become more of an educator and consultant. And my most recent venture with quite a few other veterinarians, including Dr. Lee here, is Top Vets Talk Pets. So there's 15 of us, all different places around the country, all different specialties, all different backgrounds and cultures. It's a very diverse group of veterinarians who are really wanting to bring the veterinarian back to the pet parent so that we can make sure that all these brand new puppy pandemic pet parents out there and and new kitty owners understand where they can find really good, accurate information about being the best pet parent they can be. So part of that will be educational through our website and our our social handles, and also being partners with other great aligned companies and other groups that feel the same, that we want to make sure that veterinary information that is out there is truly accurate. 
and again, providing the best physical and emotional health for your pets. I'm honored to be part of Top Vets Talk Pets. And I always tell people when in doubt, you want to make sure you're getting information from the most credible sources. I will say that I've been to veterinary websites where there's some erroneous information about certain types of poisonous plants. So you always want to make sure whenever you're doing pet research on Dr. Google or on Google, make sure it's from a credible source. So again, when in doubt, you can go to topvetstalkpets.com. Now, I wanted to talk about pet safety. And you and I are both based out of the Midwest. We're just starting to thaw, which is amazing. But it's also the time of the year when I start to see dogs getting hit by a car because they're so excited that it's spring that they run around off leash and unfortunately undergo some trauma. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is what about dogs being off leash? What is your general recommendation? Is it okay to have them on voice command? What do I need to know? Well, I would love to say that it is, but I I truthfully can't. We need to keep our dogs on leash in public places at all times. I have seen a lot of people, especially clients who do um, advanced agility and confirmation and tons of training and in a undisturbed, quiet and focused location, that dog could be a hundred yards away and with a simple voice command would come immediately to the feet of the pet parent. The unfortunate thing is, is that that situation very rarely arises, especially for me here downtown Chicago. There are tons of sights and unexpected noises and activities and bikers and fire trucks and and even a squirrel, right, that can distract that dog and unfortunately end up with a very traumatic episode, a car accident. We've had hit by bike, hit by Segway, hit by bus, you name it. Unfortunately, that can happen even in the most well-trained dogs. So There are dog parks that are fenced in and secure specifically to allow your dog to be in a controlled setting off leash. And I certainly would encourage you to investigate those in your area, make sure that they're safe, make sure that the people that are going in there are doing what they need to be doing to be there, meaning using um, vaccines and making sure they're parasite protected. But we also want to make sure that if you are going to be taking your dog off leash, that you're doing it again in the most secure places. So when you're taking them for walks, you're taking them around the neighborhood, taking them to a festival, traveling with you, please make sure they're on leash. One thing I will say is that a lot of people that are doing road trips right now are taking their dogs with, which is great. But we want to make sure that when you end up at a rest stop, that's a perfect place where I've seen people just open that car door and let that dog run free. That is one of the scariest places for me where we've seen lost pets, lots of accidents because those dogs don't know where they are and it's very difficult to get them back. So please make sure that before you open the car door or the front door that you put your dog on a leash. Bring up a great point. People may think that their dog is obedient, but oftentimes when there's that tempting squirrel or another dog or a running cat, it's really hard to control, which brings me to puppy and obedience training. My general rule, I'd love to hear your opinion, is at least two semesters of puppy obedience, even if you have an older dog that you're adopting. What's your general guideline? And why do you find that a lot of pet owners or a lot of dog owners don't actually do this? They think, oh, I'll just train my dog at home. Yeah. And I don't know why that is because I do say to a lot of my clients, you know, as a veterinarian, when I adopted my dog from a shelter, I went through puppy class and people say, but you're a veterinarian. I say, exactly. Because part of puppy training is of course, for your dog to understand what these commands mean, but a big part of it is socialization and also for them to understand the bond with you in a public place. 
so that they feel comfortable walking with you on a leash. They don't get so distracted, but will listen to you when you command them to sit at the side of a road or drop when they're picking something up off the ground or release or settle or whatever you're working on. We need to make sure that they understand that that bond is with you. I would say two things on that. One, I completely agree with the length of time. Some puppies, to be honest, need to repeat basic obedience and that's okay. A lot of dogs that are coming from rescues, remember, can have underlying anxieties or other behavioral challenges that we need time to work through, especially if they've been relinquished several times, or let's say they were transported from the South by a van to a shelter in the North and then rescued by somebody out West. And they're, I mean, can you imagine how scary that is for those pets? So they need time to acclimate and socialize and bond with you in a controlled setting. But the other thing that I want to mention is I absolutely encourage, and this might be a difference of opinion for us, but I encourage every pet parent to go through obedience training with your dog. A lot of people say, oh, I'm going to just drop them off at a boot camp for two weeks and have them come back to you. They may be excellent in obedience commands, but they've just spent two weeks bonding to that trainer, not to you. When you have a brand new puppy or a brand new rescue, that time where you are spending training with your dog and practicing with your dog at home and doing homework exercises is invaluable time. The human animal bond needs to strengthen again, especially in those rescues. So please consider if you're going to do a boot camp, please consider following that up with a training class with your dog so that they can get proper socialization with you present. And if you have a family that wants to get involved with kids, it's a great time to have the kids come and learn the proper way to use those commands. Dr. Marks, thank you so much for bringing that up because that's actually one of my pet peeves. Get it, pet? <laughs> because they truly are only obedient to that trainer. And I always say you should bring your whole family when you go to puppy obedience because your dog should obey everyone in the family. So, you know, when I brought my puppy to puppy obedience, I made my husband go too, even though it was on Monday night football and he didn't appreciate that. But then eventually he realized how important this was. So I always tell people when in doubt, you want your whole family involved with training. One of the biggest mistakes that I see when it comes to training is first of all, not being officially trained. And again, as a veterinarian, I purposely took my dog because it's so important to teach the human how to train. The second mistake that I see is that people are too verbose when they're talking to their dog. We want five commands and they're generally sit, stay, leave it, drop and down. Some people get really involved. They're like, I want to teach my dog to like, give me a hug. I want to teach my dog to shake. I want to teach my dog how to paw. And honestly, you really only need those five commands. I promise that if you have an obedient dog, it improves your quality of life and it improves pet ownership so much. And it's going to also improve how well-behaved your dog is as the veterinarian. When family members come over, you really don't want your dog jumping on them or barking at them. If you drop something on the floor, you shouldn't have to tackle that food item to prevent your dog from eating it. A simple drop it or leave it command um, should make them leave it right away. So I really encourage you, please take the time to obedience train your dog. So important. Now, I wanted to talk about another aspect. There's a bunch of different poisons that we'll see seasonally. Do you mind just talking about some foods to avoid having in the house if you have a dog and less commonly a cat because they're less likely to be chow hounds? Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. So I think the first thing I want to talk about is the one I think most people would, that would come to mind when they're thinking about a toxic food in the house and that's chocolate. And certainly as a toxicologist and an ER veterinarian, you have seen, I'm sure more than enough of your, of, of chocolate ingestions in your lifetime. Um, but I think chocolate is a food that I think actually gets a little bit of a bad rap because in, in some dogs, it's not as bad as we think. And I don't want to come out and say here that, you know, oh, well, then that's fine. You feed your dog some M&Ms from the table. Absolutely not. We don't want them having chocolate. But it really depends on the dose of chocolate, the type of chocolate, and the weight of the dog. So if you have an Irish wolfhound and it ate one little mini chocolate chip off your counter, the odds of that creating any kind of problem in the dog is very, very slim. However, if my dog, who's a seven pound terrier when wet, got onto the counter and ate a whole bag of dark chocolate, chocolate chips, we'd have a different story. So I think it's very important if there is any kind of chocolate ingestion, first thing you want to do is, is call your veterinarian or uh, poison control. And we want to know what it ate, again, how much and the weight of your dog. And a lot of times, again, the, the situation will go from there. But chocolate is a toxin. It's just, again, has some dose dependencies. However, there are other foods I would certainly want you to avoid either feeding from the table or having on a toddler high chair where they're easily thrown down. And for dogs, my, my list would include avocados, onions, garlic, macadamia nuts, anything with caffeine in it. And then my big one would be grapes and raisins. For cats, uh, certainly would avoid onions. And I'll be honest, I think thinking back to my 20 years of practice, at least in general practice, it's pretty uncommon for cats to come in from a toxic food ingestion. We certainly see much more commonly a uh, toxic plant ingestion, or we'll see a foreign object ingestion like dental floss or string. I couldn't agree with you more. Grapes and raisins are actually really, really dangerous because it can cause acute kidney injury. And interestingly enough, the ASPCA just released information on this just this week. And the interesting thing that ASPCA found was they actually found the toxin or the suspected toxin in grapes and raisins. Now, this is tartaric acid. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that correctly. But what they were able to identify was that this was a very similar natural compound that also was found in cream of tartar. And most people think, oh, my pet would never get into cream of tartar. But with COVID, so many parents were doing all these arts and crafts. And there are actually a lot of unbaked Play-Dohs, a lot of like different types of slime that have cream of tartar in it. So when in doubt, if you're not sure, you always want to contact the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center if you're not sure if it's poisonous or not. So I always say, when in doubt, call your veterinarian, call your emergency veterinarian, or call the ASPCA at 888 426-4435. You never want to take the chance that your pet might be poisoned because with any poisoning, the sooner we identify the poisoning, the sooner we can treat it, the less damage to your pet and the less costly for you. We'll be right back with Dr. Marks right after these messages. As a veterinarian, I want you to keep your dog as healthy and happy as possible. That's why I'm a huge advocate of Brockwell's Pets Pro Probiotics. Probiotics are used to help stabilize and strengthen the intestinal flora. They have a lot of positive effects on the entire body system. Simply sprinkle the desired amount on your dog's food and it can help 
boost the immune system, treat diarrhea and constipation, restore gut health, and lower cholesterol levels. Plus, it's vet-recommended, made in the U.S., and comes with a money-back guarantee. For more information, go to rockwellpetspro.com. That's rockwellpetspro.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Today, we're talking with Dr. Natalie Marks of Top Vets Talk Pets, and we've been talking about how to keep our dogs and cats safe. Now, if you just adopted a dog or a cat during COVID, keep in mind, we want to make sure that you're keeping your pet as healthy as possible because we want them to lead healthy, happy lives. So first thing, please keep your dog leashed in public places. Please make sure you go through at least two levels, two semesters of puppy obedience for basic commands and obedience training. Please make sure to pet proof whether or not you have a dog or a cat, because we want to make sure our pets aren't getting into anything poisonous. Now, Dr. Marks, we talked about chocolate. We talked about some of these common food ones. Now, what about gum? What do we need to know about when it comes to gum in dogs? Oh, and I think this is such a huge one, especially if you have a brand new puppy to you or brand new rescue who is nose to the ground and searching for things off the sidewalk or in the alleyways or in your purse or backpack or anything else that you carry in the house. And that's a compound called xylitol. So xylitol, and it's actually spelled X-Y-L-I-T-O-L, is a sugar substitute that is now used in things like Orbit gum. Um, some of the natural peanut butters, there's some baking goods. It's actually a, a very common compound that diabetics will look for as a sugar substitute in their foods. Unfortunately, when dogs ingest this, so if you have a 40 pound dog and it gets into a stick of orbit gum, we have a risk of them dropping their blood sugar significantly in their body and creating a situation where their liver could go into failure. It is a big, big toxicity. Now we're seeing it much more. So my first thing to say about preventing this from happening is, is remember when you are buying foods like this, they either need to stay in completely unreachable places. Like you're keeping them on the highest shelf of your pantry or your backpack never stays on the ground or you try to avoid having those in your house. If you've got a puppy that's going through teething and you know one of these investigative terriers that can sniff out a, a stick of gum you know, from a mile away. And it's also important again, to keep them unleashed when they're outside, because if these dogs start roaming around you know a park that's got a lot of garbage that's laying around we can have an uh, you know an, a completely unintentioned ingestion and it doesn't take long for this toxin to, to kick in and take effect so xylitol is a big compound that you want to make sure that you're looking for in your food substances at home again x y l i t o l you also want to look for those x y letters with anything because what i've realized is so many products in our house are sugar-free. Years ago, I bought my toddler some toddler toothpaste, and I was shocked. It didn't even say it was sugar-free, and the number one ingredient was xylitol. I oftentimes will see it in multivitamins, so chewable vitamins, even children's vitamins. 
I've seen it in huge amounts in melatonin, the ones that are strawberry sublingual uh, flavored. It's in very, very rare types of peanut butter. Um, so when in doubt, you always want to check those ingredients to make sure it doesn't have those letters X, Y. Keep in mind, all the other sugar substitutes are not a big deal. Malatol, you know, stevia, struvia, whatever, all these different, you know, sugar substitutes are not a big deal. It's only xylitol that's dangerous to dogs. Now, what are some other ways we can keep our dogs safe? Like we, during COVID, we spent a ton of money buying toys because we saw our dog constantly in the house and we were always entertaining them with all these different toys. Do you have any recommendations on how to purchase pet safe toys and what I need to do to make sure that they're safe for my dog or my cat? Yeah. And that's, you know, a huge question. A lot of people ask because we have to make sure number one, that they're appropriate for their life stage. And number two, we want to make sure that we're maintaining those toys. It's pretty common for us to have puppies come in and have ingested pieces of a toy or a broken knot off a rope toy or have you know, a little piece of plastic from a, you know, their favorite toy that they've destroyed that now has been ingested and punctured, unfortunately, something in the intestine creating a really emergent surgery that can happen very, very quickly, especially in some of these, you know, bull terriers and larger breed dogs that are just gnawing on everything as they, they can, which sometimes they have to again, because they're teething. So really, really important to make sure that anything that's cracked or splintered or ragged or pulling apart, if you can break it apart, believe me, your dog can break it apart. So those are toys that need to be chucked into the garbage and uh, secured so that they're not getting into the garbage to find their long lost favorite toy and replacing. We don't want them to be a choking hazard or anything that's ingested. There are a lot of toys though, that I would strongly recommend looking into that are not just for physical boredom per se, We want to make sure that your pet is emotionally and mentally engaged when they play. And what I mean by that is a lot of dogs, we will give them toys that interest them for maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds. And then new pet parents sometimes get frustrated and they're like, well, I gave them a toy. My dog just, you know, chewed on it for a minute and then seemed bored. Well, that's the key word. They're bored because it's doing nothing to stimulate their brain at the same time. So what I would suggest is looking into what are called puzzle feeders. There are tons of them out there now. Um, Fear Free Happy Homes is a great website. Again, Fear Free Happy Homes that has a lot of options for puzzle feeders. You can also even search something as simple as Amazon and look for puzzle feeders. And what these are are ways where you can put teeny treats or even parts of their meal inside different mazes and puzzles and gadgets where your dog and cat need to be able to figure it out to eat. There are some that are stationary, some that move, some you have to chase, some that make noises. There's all different types out there. But what we're doing is we're getting them exercise for their body and their mind. One of the biggest problems we're seeing with all these brand new pets this year is anxiety. And that's because everybody's home all the time. You know, cats like their space, but a lot of cats are having anxiety now because the parents are there constantly. Dogs are having anxiety because they're never separated from their parents. So we want to make sure that they have their own time with a toy, again, that is safe, that physically provides them that outlet of chewing, but also provides that emotional and mental stimulation so that they can either hunt and activate their prey drive if they're a cat or have more independent play if they're a dog. One thing I want to discourage in dogs under six months of age though, are tug toys. 
if you are playing tug with a young puppy and it's you against them, that is not a great behavior to help your dog have a more relaxed behavior. In fact, it can, it doesn't always, but it can lead to more dominant behavior in the home. After six months of age, that is fine. And if your puppy wants to play with a rope toy by themselves, totally fine. But we don't want to encourage tug of a human versus a dog under six months of age. We need to wait a little bit longer until we can do that safely for their mental development. I'm also going to say the same thing with cats, especially cats or little kittens that are attacking someone's hands. Some people will try to play with a cat. They'll use a, a really short toy and they're using their fingers to hold this toy and their cat ends up attacking their fingers. I'd rather use something with a longer stick so your kitten doesn't actually attack your hand. So when in doubt, you do want to uh, redirect that specifically to a toy, but when in doubt, you always want to make sure these are safe for your pet. I always become worried when there's really dangly parts for cats too, really stringy parts that a cat can swallow and it can become a linear foreign body and get stuck in the intestines. So please make sure to provide environmental enrichment, but make sure those toys are safe. Love how you encourage keeping our pets emotionally healthy. I also wanted to point out there's an amazing resource at the Ohio State University indoor cat initiative. And it talks about different ways that we can provide environmental enrichment. And it's something as simple as please don't put your cat's food and water by their kitty litter box. Why? Because you don't eat in the bathroom and your cat probably doesn't want to either. It's simple things like making sure that the kitty litter box, the food, the water source isn't right next to the water heater, which can turn on randomly at certain times and scare your cat. You want to make sure there's not like some HEPA filter or some beeping alarm that's going to go off that's going to scare your cat. So really simple ways of keeping our pets emotionally healthy too. Now, talk to me about keeping chewable items out of reach. What do you find that dogs and cats accidentally chew into that might not be toys that may be found commonly in the house? Yeah, that's a, that's a great thing to bring up because I find that happening more and more frequently now, especially with brand new pet parents who maybe aren't aware of some of these hazards. So a couple of the big ones that we see, one would be electrical cords. So with everybody working from home now and tons of home office setups and all these devices and you know home theater systems and things like that, there tend to be a lot of wires laying around. And so if you have one of those, we need to make sure that those cords are secure, either with the, um, like the half PVC pipe that's covering it up, or that they're secured in a place where the, the pets cannot reach them. Puppies and kittens chewing into electrical cords can unfortunately be a fatal instant in some cases, but they can get a pretty bad burn within their mouth. So we want to make sure those are, are kept away. We see a lot of pets, unfortunately, getting into sewing, sewing kits, especially cats, with a lot of people that have taken up knitting and all kinds of crafting uh, during the pandemic. They tend to let those things lay around a little more casually than we want to. So anything that has string, we want to make sure is kept away again, especially from cats, but also from dogs. That includes anything in your bathroom. So if you're a big flosser, which I applaud you if you are, uh, but we want to make sure that that floss is in one of the uh, garbage cans that you need to use a, a pedal to open and it's secured safely away so that we can't have uh, cats getting into that commonly. There's a lot of medications, unfortunately, that are over the counter, even 
that pets can still get into and that can create a, a toxic ingestion. And, you know, just because it says it's a childproof lid, make sure it is actually on. So a lot of people will take their medicine and just kind of throw it back onto the counter. Cats can get anywhere. So if that lid isn't on tight, unfortunately, that can be a hazard as well. And the other big thing that I can see uh, a lot of times is just like you mentioned, Justine, is, is uh, some of those kids' activities. So we see um, with kids playing all you know games with lots of different pieces, the Play-Doh, the paint, the paper mache. I, I think I've this definitely the slime. I, I think I have that all over my house now, all of those things. When the kids are done playing, it's a great idea to just get in the habit. It's cleanup time too, is part of playtime because all those little pieces that belong to Monopoly and Life and Clue and all of the hungry, hungry hippo, it doesn't matter. I've taken, I feel like all of those out of dogs at one point. So, you know, puppies are, and kittens are very, very curious creatures. And if something is out and about, they will want to inspect it and potentially taste it, sometimes, unfortunately, ingest it. And we want to make sure that we're avoiding that at all costs. All right. Great information, Dr. Marks. Last thing I wanted to ask you, what can we as pet owners do to make a really good pet first aid kit? Oh, I love that question. And a lot of people ask that because so many people are so stir crazy from the pandemic that they either want to start taking a road trip or they want to either go with their pets or they want to go and leave their pets alone and they want to make sure they're as protected and as safe as possible. So I would say bare minimum, here are some things that would be really good to have in there. One would be gauze. So four by four gauze that you can just pick up over the counter. Medical tape. So that's the white tape that will stick not only to you, but also to your pet, uh, to your pet's hair or fur. An antiseptic product would be great. So any kind of general cleanser or even, you know, Bactine is also safe to use just to be able to clean out a wound or a scratch. Hydrogen peroxide is great to have on hand. If there is an ingestion and you talk to your veterinarian or ASPCA, we may need to use hydrogen peroxide to induce vomiting, especially if you are in a remote place where there isn't an emergency clinic immediately by you. Thermometer is great to have. And now they're just coming out with thermometers that scan temperature through uh, the skin rather than having to use that rectally. So that's really exciting news on the horizon. But I think two things that people forget about in their first aid kit that are really important. One is to make sure you talk to your veterinarian, especially if you're getting ready to travel and have your medical records accessible. Some people are able to do that through their app, through their veterinarian. Sometimes you need to get those emailed to you, but it's really important to have. The second thing is, is that wherever you plan to be traveling, you scout your route out ahead of time. So if you're traveling a long distance in the car, make sure that you check where your stops are going to be and look for emergency clinics and make sure that you know where those are. The other thing is, is to plug into your phone, your veterinarian's phone number. If it's, if it's not in there now, it should be. If that's the only thing that comes through this, plug that number in and also emergency clinics and the poison control center, because we don't want to be trying to remember that number in the middle of a, a scary potential in incident. So make sure you have your own plugged in and that you've scouted out where you're going to be and you have those numbers as well. It just saves a lot of time and frustration from having to look those up in the midst of something where you want to have the ability to talk to a veterinarian right away. I can't reiterate that enough. 
being prepared really helps you out in case of an emergency because we're really stressed out when that happens. And I'm also going to encourage pre-program if you still have one of those old school GPSs in your car. I recommend pre-programming that so you know exactly where to get to that vet, that emergency vet in a pinch. Now, obviously, most of us have smartphones. We can look it up pretty quickly. But if for some reason you're not home and it's a pet sitter that's watching, that's a house sitter who has it um, has access to your house, your car, you want all that information in advance, just so it minimizes stress. Dr. Marks, thank you so much for these great tips and how to keep our pets safe. Really appreciate all that you do. And do you mind just giving us the information again on where people can find some more information about Top Vets Talk Pets? Yeah, absolutely. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Top Vets Talk Pets. And you can also check out our website, which is topvetstalkpets.com. Well, thank you so much. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at Dr. Justine Lee on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Justine Lee or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time. And again, wanted to give a huge shout out to Dr. Natalie Marks and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.